0: Good afternoon everybody, it's great uh, to be with you and great to start at uh, the beginning of the Easter week uh, with w- another of the resurrection stories. I think what's really quite amazing, I don't know whether you've ever noticed, uh, perhaps the Bible's new to you, um, perhaps you're just coming to terms with it. One of the things about the Bible, we say it lots of times just to help us all to orientate ourselves. Uh, the Old Testament is all of the story before Jesus, and then the New Testament is the the, the first four books of the New Testament at the time, uh, and the accounts of Jesus when he was present uh, in the world, and then the rest uh, of the New Testament is what we understand from the presence of Jesus and what we look forward to. And um, one of the things that I find really amazing in the resurrection stories is given the significance of the resurrection, this this huge, world-shaping, uh, completely unique event, uh, the accounts are relatively small and, and they're relatively short. And um, we can look at one of them this afternoon. It's the account of Mary Magdalene and and coming face-to-face with the risen Jesus. But maybe if we take ourselves back a little bit, Mary has previously gone down to the tomb, and what we know about the um, the uh, burial of Jesus is that the Jews recognised that or feared that there was the possibility that the um, the followers of Jesus would uh, take his body and then claim that he had been risen, and so uh, there was a huge movement. Uh, amongst both the Romans and and the Jewish uh, uh, leaders who had come together to 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 kill Jesus, um, there was this strong movement to make sure that that didn't happen. On the one hand, the tomb was sealed with a heavy heavy stone across rolled across uh, the front of the tomb, and then there were were guards, uh, Roman guards, placed in front of it. What we actually see as well to to counter that idea of uh, the powerful disciples is one of the things that the New Testament makes really clear is that the disciples are absolutely terrified. They're hiding away against all of their expectations. Jesus has been taken and crucified. Uh, And Mary in her grief goes down to the tomb and finds that the tomb is open. Uh, which is an incredible thing. So she rushes back, finds Peter, and what the earlier part of chapter 20 describes as uh, the other disciple, which uh, everybody generally thinks that that's uh, John. Uh, Peter and John rush down to the tomb along with Mary. Uh, John and Peter go into the tomb, and they, they see that, as Mary had said, the tomb is open and... The tomb is empty. They see the cloths where Jesus, which Jesus had been wrapped in at at each end, and then they return to where the disciples are staying. One of the things that we see at this moment is that Mary continues in grief. She does not see this as a moment of hope. She sees, actually, I would say, almost a further tragedy almost as though jesus has been has been killed uh, and now her her mind i guess is that his body has been desecrated he's not even allowed to rest uh, and so we take up the uh, the story in verse 11 mary stood outside the tomb crying we see a broken mary we see a grief-stricken mary uh, and then everything changed the whole of The future for Mary changed and the whole of the future for humanity changed in this moment. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. That's Mary's response in her grief in this moment. I think the other thing to, to note, um, probably against all of the, the kind of ideas of many uh, medieval paintings or Renaissance paintings, the, the angels here, I would say, are they look and appear like human beings. Um, Mary isn't terrified by them. She engages them in conversation. She doesn't see them as a spectacular uh, intervention in this moment. She sees them as two people who are in the tomb where she is engaging in a conversation. And her response is they, presumably meaning those who have uh, already um, attacked Jesus, killed him, uh, put him on trial, killed him, uh, uh, and Continuing the pressure on the disciples. They've taken him now, and I don't know where. But what we see in the next moment is what I would describe as grief filled ignorance turning to hope filled recognition. Grief filled ignorance turning to hope filled recognition. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. We're not told why she didn't realize it was Jesus. Um, I think the implication is probably because he is the last person that that Mary would have expected to be standing behind her. She's not fearful of the angels. She sees another person behind her, And almost, well, the same question is then asked uh, of Mary by Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? So we've got, on the one hand, the angelic beings, and we've got Jesus asking Mary the same question. What's her response? We see that she, thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I suppose there's almost for Mary in that grief-filled moment, there's almost maybe the possibility of a little bit of hope. Maybe it isn't they, the ones who've oppressed Jesus. Maybe it's this gardener who for some reason has moved the body of Jesus. Tombs in the ancient world um, were not, were not tombs in the or burial places in the way that we think of them. Uh, we think of the idea of being buried in, in our culture as you are buried and, and you stay there. Uh, in actual fact, the tombs, the, the places where Jesus would have been taken, his body would have been placed in uh, a rolling stone tomb with a, a, a large round stone that rolls across the entrance. Uh, and he would stay in there until his his bones are what is left, and then his bones would have been taken and placed in a box. That's, uh, uh, that's the way it worked in the ancient world. And so Mary is desperate, really, for the cultural care of the dead to be presented to Jesus. But in that moment, everything changes with one word, and it's her name. Look at how it changes. Jesus said to her, Mary, isn't that amazing? He names her. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, rabbi. I I think that's just such a beautiful moment, isn't it? What Jesus doesn't do is say to her, it's me. (laughs) He engages in relationship with her. He, He speaks her name. And in that moment, Mary recognizes Jesus. It's a beautiful moment. And her response is what we're thinking about today. She turns to him and she says, teacher, Rabboni. I think it's one of those things, which is uh, one of those moments where the translation of words um, doesn't necessarily capture all that that means. Uh, one of the other ways that Rabboni could be translated is master, so almost master teacher. It's way more than than just somebody who brings knowledge. For for Mary, what she's declaring at that moment is. You are the one who I look to for all of that sense of of life and knowledge and personal orientation. You are the one who places me and understands me and shapes me and directs me and guides me and illuminates me and helps me to see what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false what is good and what is evil. You are the one who, who is the very center, the very core of all, of all that I look to. What we've seen for the past three years is that Jesus has again and again, he's been uh, described as rabbi, teacher, another way in which that word rabboni could be used. And what marked Jesus as a teacher? What was it? We know that he taught in a remarkable way. But what really made him a rabbi was the, the fact that he he had uh, disciples and many disciples outside even just the 12. Disciples who followed him, who gave their lives to him. Who, if you like, hung on his example, hung on his teaching, hung on his guidance, hung on his shaping of their lives. That's what it means for us to think about The the idea of rabbi, way more than just the idea of teacher, although teaching is an essential part of being a rabbi. And as we think about that, and as we, we look at that idea of rabbi, I think it points really powerfully to the world in which we live in today. Because in so many ways, the human experience is really no different to the ancient experience. If I ask the question for us, where is yours and where is my source of truth, guidance, direction and hope? Where do we look? As human beings, we have an insatiable desire for knowledge and guidance. We have an insatiable desire for an answer to the question of how to live an answer to the question of what to believe. But one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to compartmentalize. We tend to look in one place for, for certain ideas and in another place for other ideas. Maybe for some of the things that we believe to be true, we might for some of us look to the academy or for influential speakers or guides or whatever it might be. For how to live, how to be, to prioritize our lives, to create a a construction on which we're going to shape our lives. We look in all sorts of places, whether it's the highbrow academy or literally whether it's our TikTok influencers. What are they doing? They are each shaping the way that we create our value set, the way that we create the things that we hold on to, the way that we create the direction of our lives, the things that we value, the things that we don't value, the way we look, the way we feel, the way we um, relate to each other are shaped by the influences around us. And we live in a, a world today which is bombarded, literally bombarded relentlessly with influencing messages, the whole breadth of social media the whole breadth of online marketing when we realize that we're being marketed to when we don't even realize that that's the case. Even our media, even our news is shaped and, and uh, has leanings and influences the way we think. So if we read continually the, the news from one particular source, with a particular political or social leaning, then we we tend to shape our way of thinking by that social leaning or political leaning. We are influenced and we are constantly influenced. And yet we compartmentalize that knowledge. We look for what we believe to be experts in each area. One of the things that the ancient world understood which we i think in general terms have lost but one of the big debates in the ancient world was what 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 did we exist for is there more than this current life i suppose we do ask it on on occasions, but it was such a powerful question in the ancient world. Is this life that we have all that we have, or is there more? Is there life beyond the grave? If you've been around Christchurch for any length of time, you know that one of my uh, favourite films is is Gladiator. Uh, The idea of, of the idea of what comes beyond the grave is is captured in a, a, a phrase that, uh, that Maximus uses just as a, they're going into battle. Uh, and as I have dug into that phrase, um, it, it seems to say one thing, but in actual fact, it comes from a completely opposite mindset. He says this, what we do in life echoes in eternity great phrase but actually it was written by marcus aurelius who he's depicted as as serving marcus aurelius didn't believe in any idea of an afterlife he was arguing in his culture which was shaped in so many ways by the idea of an afterlife marcus aurelius was arguing that there isn't any afterlife and so the eternity that follows beyond your death what we do in life our reputation who we are as people who we are as warriors who we are as strong players on this world scene for the short space of time in which we live in this world that is what echoes for eternity I suppose what he was capturing in that phrase and what's right at the heart of the question is this. We will live a different life depending on how we answer that question of whether there is life beyond the grave. The reality is that if we think that this is all there is, then we shape our lives accordingly. We live for the best that we can be in this moment. We don't really worry about whether there is anything bigger, anything more important, anything more significant than what we see around us. We live to to enjoy the moment, if you like, because this is the only moment that we have. The alternative is that we do start to ask those big questions. Is there more to life? Is this all that there is? What we see in this little account of Mary with Jesus is the answer to that question if we believe what we see of this account. Because the resurrection of Jesus answers that question. It says that beyond death, there is life, that there is something beyond this current experience that actually death is not the end. And so we ask ourselves, therefore, how do we live? What Mary was capturing in her use of the term Rabboni was something that flows right the way through the Bible. The idea that we look to God we look to God for the answer. We look to God for the wisdom. We look to God for the knowledge. Proverbs 2 6 puts it like this For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. That's in the Old Testament. It's the idea of knowledge and the idea of understanding comes solely from God. Jesus said earlier on in the In the Gospel of John, in chapter 14 and verse 6, he says, This I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way. I am, if you like, the guide, the shaping, the bringer of knowledge and truth, and I am the hope of life. And he says, even more, No one comes to the Father except through me. See the way Jesus develops what was said in the Old Testament, where the Old Testament says, look to God for knowledge and understanding, this unseen God. Jesus says, I am the one who now brings that knowledge, that understanding to you in person. I am now present with you. I am now visible, not invisible. So live wisely, accordingly uh, to the knowledge that you receive from my presence. Paul, the apostle, later reflects on this, this knowledge of God, this this center of knowledge in Jesus when he's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1. He says this, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. I think that's an amazing um, way of bringing together all of the worldview of Jesus. On the one hand, There might be the idea of the concept of God, but the idea of a crucified Jesus is just a a stumbling block. It's something that we trip over because it can't be that. On the other hand, the idea of a weak God is foolishness to those of the ancient world. But, it goes on to say, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, christ the power of god and the wisdom of god for the jews the idea of a crucified king the idea of a crucified god is a god who has now lost his power and paul turns that around and he says don't you see that in the very crucifixion of jesus you see the power of god how well, principally, because of what we see in our text, that Jesus rose again. And if you approach the idea of a God who is crucified as being foolish, his answer is, we actually see in that foolishness the very wisdom of God. Because what you are failing to understand is what what is achieved through that Resurrection. And so that's right at the very heart of what it is that Mary is declaring. She's saying, You're not just a teacher who gives me knowledge. You are the very presence of the wisdom of God, and you are the very presence of the hope and power of God. And in that word, Rabboni, she says, I am going to commit my life to be shaped by you. If there's one thing that Easter demands of us, it's that decision. Who is going to influence my life? Who who are the influencers for my life? The claim that the Bible makes is that Jesus stands above every other influencer. In fact, and we haven't got time to dig into it Uh, this afternoon it goes even further and it says that even the wisdom that we see in the world the good wisdom that we see in the world even that comes from god so the arrogant human mindset which says that we have created this knowledge how do we create a pill which becomes a camera that travels through the body and takes multiple pictures to check for cancer that genius capability that is able to shrink silicon chips to tiny sizes. I don't know whether they're using graphene uh, to produce those tiny circuits, maybe. But what we do know is this, is that the wisdom to achieve that comes from God. It's, it's, It's based on the very foundations of the way in which the physics of this world is created by the God who made the world. And so, Mary says it's not just the wisdom of how to live, but it's the wisdom of the hope to live in this way. And that's what Jesus claims of us today. Where is our hope? Where is our influence? Where is the thing that shapes and guides our assessment of all other knowledge claims? The God who is at the very forming of our knowledge and hope. The next little part of the text is incredibly surprising. In verse 17, we see this. Jesus turns to Mary and he says this, do not hold on to me. (laughs) Really? You've just risen? We have a woman who is transformed from grief-filled ignorance to hope-filled recognition in seeing you, and you're saying to her at that moment, don't hold on to me. Why? Why would Mary not hold on to Jesus? Surely that's what Jesus wants. He wants for people to hold on to him. I think what he's saying to Mary is, (laughs) you haven't seen the best yet. Because he goes on to say, Don't hold on to me because, or for, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He's saying, don't hold on to me because there is going to come that next stage of the journey of me working out your salvation, which is me ascending to the Father. Why is that good news for Mary? And more importantly, why is it good news for us? And it's this. When we see Jesus in this moment, the resurrected Jesus, we actually see a Jesus who is limited in his power. You might say, well, he's just risen from the dead. How can you say... He's limited in his power. He's limited because he is constrained by time and space. In this moment, we see Jesus for a few minutes with Mary. And if you like, we are observers of that moment. We are those who can look on and see that moment. But that's all that we can do. We can only look on and see. We can only look on and hear. But Jesus has been preparing them for something way more. Earlier on in the book, in chapter 16 and verse 7, he says this. I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. This is what he's talking about. Mary, it's for your good that I'm going away. Why is it for your good that I'm going away? Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. If I go away, I will send him to you. And if I send him to you, Jesus is effectively saying, if you let go of me now, Mary, you will receive more of me. Because I move from being alongside you, speaking to you for moments. I move to another experience for you. Of the triune God. I move to the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. You've heard of the Father, who is the unseen God. You've seen the presence of the Son, who is the God who is seen, who walks alongside you. But there is another experience, what he describes as the advocate. There is the hope of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So that the presence of God, the power of Jesus, moves from a power who walks alongside you, Mary, to a power who dwells inside of you. Because if I go, I will send the advocate to be with you. I'll send him to you. And so what we see as we observe this incredible moment for mary as we see hope for us we see the promise of the advocate we see the promise of the holy spirit who will dwell inside of those who trust in this jesus and so the experience of jesus for us moves from something that we see on a page to something that we experience within us and then our master our teacher our rabbi shapes us from within. We come to his word and he speaks to us through his word. That Trinitarian presence of God becomes our teacher. He becomes our rabbi who speaks with a presence that we can only know when the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so, to conclude, when we are surrounded by influences which shape our way of living in so many different ways, the great hope of Easter is quite simply this that the risen Jesus proves the authority that the God of the Bible is the source of all knowledge and hope, and that He Claims and demands that he is our Rabbi Lord, our Master King. And he says, I will not walk distant from you. I will walk present with you and I will dwell within you. And so the opportunity comes for us, I suppose, the opportunity that is presented in this text is for us to stand alongside Mary and to say, you are my rabbi teacher, you are my Lord. When I don't know how to live this life, when I don't know how to shape the life that I live, teach me please, guide me, help me, keep me.